You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Find ourselves tonight in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 13. 2 Corinthians 13 tonight, if you would. <laughs> We're beginning 2 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the last chapter in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, which means we're winding down our study of this. Uh, We'll have, uh, hopefully, uh, by the new year, a new book to go through on Sunday nights. I'm really excited about that. And so, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, if you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website. Uh, This is message number uh, 47 or 48, I think, in the series. So if you've missed any, you've got a little bit of catching up to do, Uh, but I hope you'll uh, go through that. It's been an exciting study. We've studied through several years ago, 1 Corinthians, uh, verse by verse on Sunday nights. Now, 2 Corinthians, as we wrap this up, uh, chapter number 13, verse number 1. Again, just by way of uh, review, Paul pastored the church at Corinth. He started it from scratch. He pastored it for about 18 months. Uh, there were some problems in the church there that needed to get sorted out. Uh, and so uh, a- after he'd gone away, some problems arose. He wrote him a letter, told him to get things straight. He wrote him another letter uh, that we find in 1 Corinthians, uh, telling him to sort some things out. And he says, I'm going to come visit you shortly after that. So he went back for his second visit with the church at Corinth there, and there were some problems in the church still. Uh, there were some false teachers there, some false doctrines, some problems that we had uh, that he had with the church. He left uh, the church there and wrote them another letter, which we do not have a copy of, uh, asking them to repent and make things right and to uh, come back into a right relationship with him. Uh, And many people did repent. Uh, Titus came back and said, Paul, a lot of the church repented, but there were some that didn't. Uh, They didn't cast out the false teachers yet the way that they should. Uh, And so Paul, now as we get into chapter 13, he says, guys, I'm coming to you a third time. This is the third time I've had to come visit you. Uh, We know that he at least wrote four letters for sure, and this will be the third visit that he makes. I don't know about you, but Paul is a lot more patient than I would be. Uh, After a couple of letters, you're not listening. I visited a couple times, you're still not listening. I think I'd just move on and find another church. Uh, But Paul was uh, gracious. Uh, He had so much invested in this church and he wanted to see them succeed. And so that's where we find ourselves tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, starting in verse number one. It says, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and I foretell you as if I were present the second time. Being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all others that if I come again, I will not spare. Paul says, hey, I've told you before and I'm gonna tell you this again. When I come to set things right, I'm not going to spare anyone. I'm not gonna let anybody off the hook. I'm not gonna overlook anybody's sin because this is the third time that I've had to come visit you uh, and at least the fourth time we know of that he's had to write to them. Verse number three, he says, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. As we look at this passage, it's again, uh, Paul is greatly concerned about sin in the church. Anytime there is sin in the church, it should, should concern every single one of us. The problem with the church at Corinth is the only person that was bothered by sin in the church was Paul. Everybody else just kind of continued on like nothing was happening. No one else had any real uh, issue with the things that were taking place there, but Paul was greatly concerned. 
Sin in the church should concern you and I because first and foremost, God is a holy God. God's holy. God can't have anything to do with sin whatsoever. Our sin actually repels God. God is perfect. God is without sin. God has never done anything wrong that he needs to make right. God is always righteous in his judgment. The Bible says he's righteous in all of his ways. That God is not like a man, that there's some things that he needs to make right or some things that if he had to do over again, he might do differently. God is perfect and holy in every way. The word holy means separate from sin. That means God can't even be in the same vicinity of sin. That, that sin actually repels God's presence. We find the same was true with Jesus Christ. When Jesus walked the earth, Jesus was perfect. He was holy. He was without sin. Anyone who would say that Jesus Christ uh, is a sinner or had sin or maybe made some mistakes is, is not a Christian and does not adhere to biblical doctrine. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every point like we are, yet without sin. And Jesus came and lived a perfectly sinless life, a perfectly holy life, a perfectly righteous life for one purpose, to die for our sins, to take our place, to die on the cross, to save us from our sins. You see, you have to have someone to pay for your sins. Uh, you can pay for them yourself by being separated from God in hell forever. Or you can have Jesus Christ pay the price of your sins for you. Totally up to you. But the Bible says there's coming a day where we will all stand before God and we will be required to make a payment for all the wrong that we've done. Either you can pay yourself or Christ can pay for you. Now Jesus could only pay because he was perfect and sinless. And as Jesus went to the cross and he had to shed his blood for our sins because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So Jesus went to the cross, he shed his blood on the cross. And the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And that moment hanging upon the cross, Jesus Christ took upon himself the sins of the world. He assumed my sin and yours. And the Bible says he literally became sin. And because of God's holiness, that repelled the heavenly father. Where the Bible says that God turned his back on his own son. The sky went black as Jesus Christ hung there in darkness to die for my sins and for yours. And because of his sin, the father could not even look upon him. And Jesus in that moment cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, God the Father and God the Son's fellowship was broken because of sin. That's how serious God is about sin, that he would leave his own son to hang and die rather than save him because of his sin. It wasn't Jesus' sin because he was perfect. It was the sin of mankind placed upon him. That's a big deal because that tells you how serious God is about sin. The idea that God might be soft on sin some way or God's like, oh, I know you're not perfect. Oh, it's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. It's not a biblical view of who God is because God hates sin because it put his son to death. So you and I, if we will have our sins forgiven by Jesus Christ, we must receive the payment that he's made on our behalf. The Bible says that we must be saved or born again. Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There must be a day for you where you have been saved, where you've been born again. If not, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. That's John chapter three as well. It's heavy stuff, but you need to be saved. You know for sure that your sins are forgiven. And the Bible says it's a beautiful thing that when I accepted Jesus as my savior, 
Jesus Christ took my sin from me and he gave me his holiness. So that when God sees me, he sees me as a holy, righteous child of his. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my shortcomings. He doesn't see my unholiness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus in me. The term for that is justified. Jesus Christ has given me his righteousness in exchange for my sinfulness because God's holy. That's a big deal because when sin enters into our homes, it causes problems. But when sin enters into the church of Jesus, that causes major problems because God cannot be in the presence of sin. And when there is known sin in Jesus' church, it always causes problems because we lose the presence and power of God in our midst. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul is just beside himself that he would write four different letters that he would visit now the third time, and there are still people who do not want to make things right with God. You see, we're expected to live holy in response to God's holiness. The Bible says because he is holy, we are expected to live holy. Now, does this mean we'll live a perfect life? No, I don't know of anybody in this room that could ever do that, this guy right here included. But we should seek after righteous living. We shouldn't seek to live in sin. We shouldn't seek to uh, fulfill the lusts of our flesh. We should seek after righteousness because we're a child of God. And when the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, he gives you the power that you need to live for Jesus. He gives you the power that you need to live according to what the Bible says. And Christ living in me allows me to accomplish what needs to be done. The Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He says, hey, Paul's dead, and the only thing getting done around this place is what Jesus is doing through Paul. Because Paul's dead, it's only Christ living in me. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. So we're expected to live a holy life. And when a believer that's part of a body of Christ is not living a holy life, we must deal with it. We must handle it because Jesus' church must be a holy church. Now, this doesn't mean every time we see somebody uh, maybe speak an unkind word to somebody that we're supposed to drag them to the side and, and beat them over the head with the Bible. It doesn't mean every time we see somebody post something online that might not be 100% appropriate, we're supposed to call them out on it. It's a matter of we, we are to always be pursuing holiness, first of all, through discipleship through learning what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ, by learning what it means to walk with Jesus each and every day. But when we see someone in unrepentance sin, we have the responsibility as a body of believers to help that person through that process. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a family together. That's what we do. We look out for one another. And if we had a brother or sister that was struggling with sin, we need to put an arm around them and help them and encourage them through that because sin damages the entire body. These last uh, couple of weeks on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Ephesians chapter five. They've been some pretty heavy messages, I think you would say. Uh, Last week, we took a look at fornication and what that means and sexual immorality. Uh, This morning, we took a look at uh, how we cannot say that we're Christian yet continue to lay down in our sin and cozy up to our sin and not truly repent of our sins. Heavy stuff. But here's what I know for our church. The second that we become comfortable with our sin, we begin to die. Because the Bible says that sin always brings forth death. 
And if there's some guy in our church that's maybe looking at pornography, some woman in our church that's harboring anger or bitterness, that hurts our entire church because sin affects the entire body. And Paul, in this case here, I don't know how many people he was calling out when he says in uh, verse number two, I'm coming and I'm not gonna spare you this time. I don't know whether he was calling out two or three guys or he was calling out 200 or 300, but here's what I know. Any amount of sin causes problems all the way around. The Bible says a, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. All it takes is a little bit of sin to enter into the, the body of Christ to begin to cause problems. That means sin must be identified and rectified. I'm thankful that God has given me friends in, in my life and family through the body of Christ that when I step out of line, they're willing to call me out on it. That's a blessing. It's always good to have brothers and sisters around you to say, hey, is everything okay? Hey, what you said, I don't think you meant to say it that way, but it came across this way. I'm helped by things like that. I'm helped by people when they ask me what I'm reading my Bible or how they can pray for me. I need people like that in my life. And I give you full uh, ability. If you ever see me in sin, please, by all means, call me out on it. If there's something I've done that has violated scripture, I want to know because I want to make it right. And being a part of a body of believers, you're saying, I want to be held accountable. By being a part of the church, you're saying, I want this to be my family and I want you to look out for me when I go slipping. That's what family does for each other. Can you imagine having a family get together at maybe Thanksgiving when you're planning on having the whole family there and everybody's gathered around the table, uh, but your brother or your sister's actually missing and you don't know where they are? You wouldn't sit down and eat a meal without them. You would say, well, let's, let's call them, let's text them. Maybe something bad's happened. Why? Because in family, we look out for each other. When somebody's not there, something's not right. Because we need accountability. We need to be looking out for one another so that in the event that we see a brother or sister in sin, we call them out and we say, hey, I'm worried about you. I was reading through the book of Ecclesiastes last week as part of my Bible reading. Ecclesiastes says if, if one person falls and they're alone, who's gonna help them? Woe unto the man that falls when he's alone, the Bible says. But if he's got somebody with him and he falls, he's got another to pick him up and to keep on going. That's the idea behind the local church. That's why we can't replace the local church with a podcast. That's why we can't replace the, the local church with, uh, I'm gonna listen to 95.5 on the way to, to work in the morning and that'll replace my church for the week. It doesn't work that way. We need real people that are looking out for us in a real way. We need people that know that when we're not here, we're not here. We, know, we need people in our life that say, hey, I'm concerned about you because I see this in your life. We need that. And Paul in this case here is providing oversight. But again, I think Paul's a little bit concerned because he's the only one that seems to care that obviously there are major sin issues at the church at Corinth, and the only person that's calling these to uh, account is Paul in this case here. Paul's not angry with the church, though. He's not upset. He's not looking to make a spectacle. You know why? Because love is merciful. Love is gracious. Love, when it sees a brother or sister in sin, doesn't want to blast him, doesn't want to grab him by the collar and say, what do you think you're doing? Love doesn't want to embarrass people. Love is merciful, love is gracious, love is kind. It's interesting as we look at this passage of scripture, I was thinking about this tonight. Now, mind you, chapter and verse divisions were not a thing that God did, 
Okay, right? When, when Paul wrote uh, the, the letter to the church at Corinth, he didn't stop and make chapter divisions in every chapter. He didn't put verse numbers alongside that and things like that. That's why it drives me batty when people say things like, oh, John 3, 16 adds up to, to you know, this number here because you put 3 and 16 together and John's the fourth book of the Bible. New Testament is just like, no, the stop. God didn't do that, okay? It just kind of happened to fall that way. But I think it's interesting, though, that 1 Corinthians 13 is what we call the love chapter. Paul talks about how love is gracious and love is kind and love is forbearing and love thinks good things and love's never puffed up and things like that. You fast forward to 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, hey, you're in sin, I'm coming for the third time and I'm not gonna let you off the hook this time. A little bit of a difference there. But I believe that the spirit is the same. Paul's doing it in love. Because I love Jesus' church so much, we can't let this sin slide. Because I love you so much, I'm not going to allow you to continue in sin again and again and again and damage yourself and damage the entire body. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to have to call you out on it. But he wants to do it in a loving and merciful way. Parents, one of the greatest things that you can teach your kids is love, mercy, and grace. It's huge. When we have to discipline our children, we, we explain to our children, hey, you deserve a spanking, but I'm not going to give it to you. That's called mercy. I'm gonna allow you to watch the television show that you shouldn't be watching because you didn't clean your room, and that is grace. But I always tell him this. Understand, mercy and grace has an expiration date. I'm not gonna be merciful forever. I'm not gonna be gracious forever. And Paul, in this case, has given him a couple of options, a couple of opportunities to make things right. Again, the first letter, then there was 1 Corinthians, then there's the third letter, and then there's second Corinthians. He's made two visits. He's getting ready to make the third. He's given them plenty of time to make these things right, and they still refuse to. He's been patient. He's been merciful. He's been gracious. But love also disciplines when necessary. Love also at some point says, hey, enough is enough. We're not gonna allow this to continue to slide. And if we turn a blind eye to sin and just pretend that it's not happening, we're not doing anybody any favors. When we overlook sin and just act like it's not there, we're not helping anyone with that. We might feel that we're doing people a favor by not embarrassing them, or I don't want to say anything. I don't want to, I, I, I might feel awkward, or they might feel awkward by me saying that that probably wasn't best. But you're not doing anybody any favors by doing that. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. And if they're trying to cover their sin or you're helping them cover their sin, you're not doing anybody a favor by doing that. Love disciplines when necessary. Public sin must be handled publicly. When sin is known by the church, then the church should see the repentance process in place. We had a situation uh, several years ago uh, where uh, there was a, a member of our church that had said some ugly things to, to another person and had left an uh, ugly voicemail message on somebody's phone. You said, what's the big deal about that? The problem was it was on Hawaii News Now. <laughs> and the person was a member of our church. And you go to their social media page, and it's like, oh, I love who we call a Baptist church, worshiping Jesus. Like, great. So we have somebody who's a member of our church who represents Jesus and represents our church to our community who's on the the. 10 o'clock news saying filthy, vulgar things on a voicemail. What do you do with that? Well, first thing I did was I called him. I said, hey, let's sit down and talk. And I sat down with him and said, brother, you can't be living like this. And here's what he said. Hey, it's none of your business what phone calls I make and what I say when I make my phone calls. 
Agreed. But when your sin comes out publicly and then it points a finger at Jesus' church, then I get involved. He sat there for a minute and he goes, oh, I feel terrible. And he goes, I never thought this would come back to our church in any way. He goes, I'm, I'm really embarrassed. What should I do? First thing you need to do is you need to call the person that you called the first time and make things right. Apologize. She said, well, I can't. Uh, her lawyer's forbidden me to talk to her. Hmm. Well, send a nice letter to her lawyer telling her that you're sorry and that you want to make things right. You're not going to contact her ever again. You're not going to say anything like that, and you're embarrassed by what you've done. Second thing I need you to do is I need you to write an apology to our church family. And he goes, that'd be great if you could hand that out for me. I'm not handing anything out for you. You're going to stand up and you're going to read it in front of our church family. And you say, really? Really? And he stood up on a Sunday night and he said, I'm really sorry for what I said and what I did and the, the embarrassment that it brought to our church family. And we told him we forgave him, we love him, we prayed for him. And it was done, it was squashed. And we moved on and we never talked about it again. Why? Because that's how it's supposed to work. When sin comes to light publicly, like Paul had to call out someone's sin publicly in a letter and say, hey, when I come, get ready because I'm not gonna let you off the hook this time. It was necessary for the well-being of the, the church body. You see, the goal with any type of uh, discipline is restoration. Whether it be the discipline of your children, whether it be the discipline in a co with a coworker, whether it be discipline in the church body, the goal is always restoration. I wanna fix this so that we can come back into a right relationship together. I want to make this right so that we can move on together and things can begin to be healed. The goal of discipline, especially when it comes to the church that Jesus started, is not to make somebody embarrassed or not to call somebody out or to make somebody feel awkward or to ostracize someone or to embarrass anybody or show that we're so much better than they are. The whole goal of this is, brother, I want you to see what you've done hurts the heart of Jesus and it hurts his church. And I wanna see you make it right so that we can move on and move past this and forget that it ever happened. The Bible says when we repent of our sin, God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. When we forgive a brother who sinned against us or sinned against the church or sinned publicly, we forgive them, we forget it, and then we move on together. That's the whole goal so that we can be stronger together. But you see, our love has to be clear in its motivation. So take a look at uh, verses three and four in this passage here. He says, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Paul says in this case here, I want this situation here to point other people to Jesus. Our love for others should point them to Jesus Christ. Our, our love for the person that is in sin should point them to Jesus Christ. Hey, brother, I hate that you're going through this. I just want you to lean on the Lord during this time. I want you to seek after Christ like never before. I want to see you make this right and grow through this. Hey, I know that this discipline might be painful right now. I know me having to call you out might be a little bit awkward right now, but it doesn't have to be. I want you to see you grow through this. And he says here, we were weak in Christ, but Christ gives us the strength that we need. Our love points people to Jesus and our love points people to the power of the gospel. It all comes back to the gospel. It all comes back to the fact that I've been forgiven for heinous things by Jesus Christ and you can be forgiven too. Hey, I've messed up more times than I care to count. And every single time my sin has been met with the grace of God and his grace has covered my sin, I wanna see that for you too, brother. Hey, sister, 
What you've done hurts me, it hurts Jesus, it hurts our church family, but I want you to lean on the grace of God and see his forgiveness in action heal this because he's done it in my life and I know he can do it for you too. That's the power of the gospel. Again, the idea that someone has sinned so far that God's grace cannot cover them is not a biblical idea. The idea that we have have wronged God in such a way or wronged other people in such a way that we can't be restored, not a biblical idea. There's no way that we could ever out-sin the grace of God, thankfully. But here's what we can't do. We cannot continue in our sin. We cannot allow our sin to hold us down because our sin hurts the people around us. Friend, if you're here tonight, I hope this is not the case. I don't know it to be the case. Otherwise, you and I would be having an eyeball-to-eyeball conversation. But if there's an area in your life where you are sinning against God knowingly and you're not willing to make it right, just know this. You're hurting your church family when you do that. You're hurting yourself. You're killing your relationship with God, but you're also hurting your church family too. And if you love Jesus and you love this church the way that you say you do, would you make that right? not only for your sake, but the sake of your brothers and sisters as well, so that we can all be a healthy body again. The Bible says when one part of the body is sick, the whole body is sick as a result of it. That when one person rejoices, all of us rejoice with them. When one person weeps, we, we all weep with them together. Why? Because we're so interconnected. And if there's an area of your life where you're sinning against God or sinning against another person, would you make that right tonight? It's called repentance, turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. And it works 100% of the time. There's no known sin that I know of in my life. But when I pray, you know what I pray? God, if there's something wrong, would you show it to me? If there's somebody I've done wrong or some anger or ill feelings that I have towards somebody, would you reveal that to me? Like the psalmist says, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me because I want to make it right. But there's other times when I sit down to pray and I know what I need to ask forgiveness for. Anger, pride, frustration, discouragement, whatever it might be. And again, you're gonna sin at some point. I'm talking about laying down with your sin and being comfortable with it. Sinning against God and not really caring. There will be repercussions. God chastisement is not encouraging. It's not helpful. It's not uh, pleasant, the Bible says but it's necessary to bring you back to a right relationship with God. I don't know where you're at tonight. I hope that we're at 100% right with God in this room. But I'd venture to guess there's probably some folks that need to make some things right with God tonight or maybe make things right with another person, maybe have ill feelings towards another human being. If that's the case, make it right tonight and move forward. And I give you this as your pastor. If I know of any sin in your life that you are willfully sinning against the grace of God, and you're not struggling with it, you are completely given over to it. As your pastor, I love you enough to confront you with that. And that shouldn't bring fear to your heart, that should bring encouragement to your heart. Hey, if I step out of line, I know that I've got somebody who's gonna put their arm around me and love me back to where I need to be with Jesus. That, that's my job. But I'm gonna help you with something. That's your job too. You see a brother or sister that's struggling, put your arm around them lovingly, bring them back into a right relationship with Jesus. There might be somebody here tonight that doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home when they die. 
You might be here tonight saying, uh, I don't, I'm not living a holy life to begin with because I've never been met with the grace of God. Maybe you don't know for sure if you died today that heaven is your home. Please don't leave here tonight without knowing with 100% certainty that your sins have been forgiven, that you're saved, that you're born again, that you're on your way to heaven. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. For those of us that are children of God that have been saved, let's make sure when we leave tonight, everything's right between us and God and everybody else because we confessed our sin, we've repented, and we're moving forward for the health of Jesus' church and for our own well-being.